Welcome to Digging In with the Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Janet Adkison with the Missouri Farm Bureau joining you and leading the charge this week. And if you did not get to check in last week, I'm the new Director of Public Affairs for the Missouri Farm Bureau and tickled to have the chance to bring some uh, new and exciting guests to you here each week. Now, we are joined this week by a gentleman, Paul Niefer. He is a CPA and a gentleman who spends a lot of time on the road traveling the countryside and educating folks on some of the different things taking place with taxes. Um, And I know that, Paul, your knowledge and wisdom goes far beyond just talking taxes. But thank you very much for taking the time to join us this week. We appreciate it. You're welcome, Janet. I'm looking forward to it. So just to get things started, since this is the first time you've had the chance to sit down with us, give folks a little bit of insight on yourself. Yeah, so I, I grew up on a farm actually in Washington State. Uh, I've been a CPA now for about 40 some years. Uh, I don't feel that old, but I, I, it is the reality. Uh, the, the unique thing, uh, I grew up in, like I said, Washington State on a wheat farm, but my wife about six months ago, seven months ago said, hey, we need to move to Colorado to be closer to the grandkids. So now I live in Parker, Colorado. Uh, But I'm actually a uh, member of the Missouri Farm Bureau because I have a 360-acre irrigated corn and soybean wheat farm down in southwest Missouri. So uh, uh, I am definitely uh, a proud member of Missouri Farm Bureau. Uh, Now, on the tax side, I started a blog about 14 years ago called farmcpatoday.com. But uh, uh, when I merged in with Clifton Larson Allen and just... uh, Retired from CLA last year, but I started a new blog for your listeners out there that are interested. It is called farmcpareport.com. So farmcpareport, all one word, dot com. Uh, And I blog on farm taxes, farm programs, estate taxes, uh, you know, anything related to farm business. So I think uh, your listeners out there might, uh, and, and the price is right. It's free. So uh, <laughs> uh, and if they sign up for it, every time we do a blog post, it'll just uh, send it to, into their inbox. Well, certainly a great rundown. And I do have to ask, you've got land in south, southwest Missouri. Whereabouts in southwest Missouri? So the nearest big town, if you want to call it that, would either be Lockwood or, Gold, or Golden City. But, okay. you know, for a lot of other people, it's about 40 miles north and west of Springfield or north and east of, of Joplin. Okay, that sounds good. So West Central to Southwest. Uh, Well, again, we appreciate you taking the time and sharing some of your knowledge with us here this week, Paul. And I'll give folks kind of a heads up also before we dig into some topics. Uh, You're going to try and join us on a monthly basis. So if there's something we don't get to talk about this month that uh, maybe one of the listeners would like to hear more about and dig into a little bit deeper, then you can drop us an email, drop us a message, and we'll try and bring that up during the next time we sit down and visit with Paul as well. So Paul, let's go ahead and jump on in. And when you and I chatted beforehand, kind of setting the timing up for this, you had mentioned that the IRS has uh, a new amount of dollars in their budget to work with. Tell us about that, if you would. Yeah, we know the Inflation Reduction Act, which I'm not sure if that's the correct term for that act, but it's what it's called. Um, had an approximately 80 billion extra money set aside for the IRS to spend over the next 10 years. And most of that money was designed for what we call additional audits or additional compliance. But there was a fair amount of money that was set aside 
for you know, updating their technology. And some of their technologies is from the 1970s. Uh, it's, it, you know, they just have never really done a great job of updating. Matter of fact, you can't even, you, to some degree, you can't even email the IRS. You have to only, you can only talk to them via the phone. And I, I don't know if you've ever tried to call the IRS on the phone, but typically mm -hmm. what happens after 45 minutes, they hang up on you. You don't even get through. Uh, so I, as a CPA, I actually would like to see the IRS get some additional funding because they really need to update their technology. Um, now, they came out with a report, if my memory is right, it's about an 80 to 100 page report. And if I was a teacher, I would give it a D plus because it really didn't tell us exactly what they were going to do with the funds. You know, there was no timelines in there. It, it essentially said, hey, we're going to go ahead and, and do this and do that. But really nothing concrete. Now, if we go back to when it was originally released, the IRA was originally released, you know, President Biden came out and said, hey, for those people making less than $400,000 a year, this additional funding from the, for the IRS, none of that's going to go toward additional audits on people making less than $400,000. Well, as was typical with almost anything that President Biden said, somebody else had to come out and actually tell us what he meant. And that was Secretary Yellen. And she came out and said, what President Biden really meant was that the share of audits for those making less than 400,000 wasn't going to change. Now, if we look at the share of audits now under current rules, my estimate is somewhere in that 60 to 75% of the audits are for people making less than 400,000. Uh, now, the money that, that you can earn is the corporations and so on, but a uh, majority of the audits are for people making less than 400000 So let's say they get this extra money and there's an extra 200000 audits that are done each year because of this extra money. Probably people making less than 400000 100 to 150000 of those are going to be on those. And most farmers... Matter of fact, I'm going to say almost all farmers, not not all, but almost all farmers make less than four hundred thousand. Uh, so there's the potential potential that there might be more audits for farmers. But conversely, it, you know, the IRS sort of views farmers as not making money. So typically there has not been that many audits for farmers. So I don't think it's going to be too big of an effect. Uh, whenever you're talking about the potential for an audit, especially for farmers and ranchers, um, what is the best way for them to get their ducks in a row and have their ducks in a row to protect themselves should that come up? Yeah, I, I think uh, for any audit, uh, when you're dealing with an IRS auditor, um, they want to tick and tie things. So the more the farmer has the receipts to back up all of their expenses they show on the tax return, if they're using some type of commercial accounting system, Red Wing, um, uh, QuickBooks, you know, something like that, uh, that as long as they have the backup, the invoice, whatever it might be for each of those expenses, and the auditor says, hey, I need to see all your uh, invoices for repair and maintenance, and you just, you know, ding, 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 you give it to them, that makes the audit go a whole lot quicker. Mm -hmm. um, now, if there's some issues, uh, that the farmer has maybe been a little aggressive in one area or another, you know, that they're going to have to discuss that with the tax preparer as to what's the best way to maybe, um, I'm not going to say camouflage it, but uh, put the best foot forward, so to speak. 
Um, as somebody who notoriously misplaces her phone or the TV remote or who knows what, receipts have sometimes disappeared from my world, but I know I spent, you know, $600 on camera equipment, or I know I did this. What is the best way to protect ourselves when something like that goes missing? Yeah. And what I have found with most IRS audit auditors that I've worked with is as long as you're reasonable and it makes sense, uh, especially if you have a check or you have a, a credit card receipt, uh, a lot of times, if I would say eight out of 10 times, the IRS auditor is going to allow that. Um, you know, some, the other 20% of the time, they can be very, uh, very much a stickler. Right. You don't have the receipt, automatic disallowed. Um, now, these days with technology, most of the times, if you don't have the receipts, you go back to the vendor and they'll give you a copy of the receipt. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's like my wife is, I'm going to call her an Amazon queen. I mean, we, <laughs> you don't want to see how much I spend on Amazon each year, uh, but we can go to Amazon and every invoice that we've had for the last probably 10 years is available there. So with technology, uh, that's made our life easier to provide that documentation. Uh, also be aware that if your records are on, let's say QuickBooks, uh, the IRS has the authority to ask for a backup of your QuickBooks and they're going to go in there and and review your QuickBook records. So, um, and, and some people say, well, that's not fair. You know, those are my records. No, they have that authority. So uh, uh, just realize that a lot of times if, if your records are in the program such as QuickBooks, um, uh, they're very much specialized in QuickBooks. I mean, mm-hmm. they understand that. Now, if you're on Red Wing, Centerpoint for ag, uh, they probably don't have anybody who understands that. So, you know, you're going to provide printouts to them and and that's going to be sufficient. Now, you also mentioned uh, bonus depreciation as another topic we should dig into. Uh, give us kind of an update there. Yeah, so uh, we've had bonus actually on and off since uh, 9-11. So back in 2001, they, they put into place, I think it was 30% bonus depreciation. And what that means for the farmer out there is right now, we have what's called 100% bonus depreciation through 2022. And what that means, if a farmer goes out and buys a piece of equipment, buys a farm building, uh, puts in tiling, uh, any farm property other than land is automatically the farmer can deduct 100%. Now, they may not want to because there's reasons why you don't want to do that so you can elect out. Well, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act back in 2017 said we're going to have 100% bonus depreciation through 2022, then starting in 23. So this year now, it's 80%. Then next year, 60, 40, 20, and then zero in 2027, if my memory's right. Um, For a lot of farmers, that's not a big deal because they still have what's called Section 179 that allows them to deduct up to $1.2 $1.2 million of equipment or other farm assets, uh, not a building, uh, but almost all of the farm assets. So for a lot of farmers in Missouri, the bonus depreciation issue is probably not that big of an issue, but for several farmers, you know, it, it is an issue. Now, Missouri, a lot of states like California, Minnesota, and so on, they don't allow you to deduct 100%. Uh, you have to add that back and then depreciate it over 20 years or five years or seven years or whatever it might be. So this is 
a bigger issue for those farmers in those states than it would be in Missouri. Missouri's a nice tax state, so I, I like Missouri. Uh, don't get me started on on California or Minnesota, so uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Uh, whenever it goes to a zero percent depreciation, though, and that's what year did you say that kicks in? That's so. Uh, so for the eighties this year, sixty. Yeah, twenty twenty seven is when it goes to zero. Um, now, there was a lot of chatter last year at the end of last year that as part of the budget bill that got passed in December, that they would make bonus depreciation 100%, maybe through 2025, but then have it drop to zero in 2026. But I think the goal of that was, hey, if it's going to drop to zero, everybody's going to be complaining and one of these extender bills would make it go back to being 100%. This isn't an extra deduction. So when Congress scores it over a 10-year period, it's not that huge of a, of a budget deficit for them. So this is something that I think eventually um, probably might go back to 100%. Um, now, it was originally an incentive. It had to be only on new assets. So a farmer had to buy a new combine to get the bonus. Uh, but the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act said, hey, it's on any farm asset, whether it was used or new, didn't really matter. I could see them maybe saying, hey, we'll go back to 100%, but it's got to be on new. And if that happens, actually, um, that would probably be more detrimental uh, than, than the other way. So, so we'll see. And certainly, uh, just taking into account how the market has been for used equipment here during the pandemic, um, and, you know, they keep talking that they're having trouble in some of the new lots, getting new equipment on on the, the lot again. It seems like, well, it could be maybe the, the shot in the arm the dealers might be needing. But, boy, the used equipment dealer market might not be in the best job. Like that would be correct. Now, again, for a lot of farmers, as long as they spend less than a million two on farm mm -hmm. equipment, they can still deduct, you know, that farm equipment now. There are some benefits to bonus that Section 179 doesn't have. A bonus can actually create a loss. You know, the farm could, let's say they had $500,000 in debt income and they bought equipment for $600,000. That would actually create a $100,000 loss, which may or may not be helpful. Whereas Section 179 can only take you down to zero unless you have other income, other business income. So uh, that's probably way beyond this, this podcast, but... Uh, um, I, I, I view it as, you know, on a scale of one to 10, where 10 is very detrimental to the farmer and one is not, mm -hmm. I view it about as a five, you know, okay. it's, it's not, it's not an eight or a nine or a 10, uh, but it's not a one. I mean, for some farmers, it's, it's an issue, but I would say for most of the farm bureau members, uh, section 179 is going to give them what they need anyway. And something else coming down the pike at us is the Trump tax cuts. Those are set to expire. Yes, and uh, there's two or three things that farmers need to be aware of right now. All farmers can take advantage of what's called the Section 199 Cap A deduction. Uh, that's that extra 20% deduction uh, on their net income, assuming they have net farm income. Or if they sell products to a cooperative, uh, the cooperative may pass through what's called a DPAD deduction. Um, that is scheduled to expire after 2025. 
the reduction in tax rates. You know, we used to have a 15% tax rate. Now it's 12. We had a 25%. It's now 22. The top rate was 39.6. Now it's 37%. Those all go back to the old rates, the old higher rates in 2026. Uh, so those are probably the two biggest things that are going to affect most farmers. Um, and there's been talk by the Republicans of trying to make those permanent. You know, they tried to make it permanent when they passed it, but they didn't have enough budget, didn't have enough revenue to offset it. Um, you know, the uh, corporate tax rate, because a lot of farmers are a corporation, it is still at 21%. That does not go back to the old 35%. It remains at 21%. Uh, so for those farmers, that's good. Now, there's other things. Uh, right now, farmers can't deduct miscellaneous itemized deductions. That actually comes back. Uh, you know, there's certain other things that come back. However, a child tax credit uh, goes, I think, goes back to the old 1,000. Exemptions come back, but the standard deduction goes back to the old ones. So there's quite a few changes, but the two big ones are the tax rates and then the Section 199 Cap A deduction disappearing. Now, of course, we're talking here during the month of April, so the tax deadline has now come and gone uh, for you and your career. That's a nice little thing to put to bed, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. We're already looking ahead, and what do we need to do to set ourselves up for 2023 when that tax time comes around? Uh, so what kind of changes are we looking at down the road now? You know, the good news, I would say, with the fact that the Republicans are somewhat in control of the House, I mean, it's only a five vote majority, but they're in control, is likely no tax changes at all for 2023. And I think if there were any changes, they'd be beneficial, not detrimental to farmers. So I, I think uh, uh, for 2023 and probably for 2024, uh, likely uh, no changes. Now, some of the changes from the Inflation Reduction Act that could possibly help farmers, um, let's say they want to buy a new uh, Ford pickup, you know, that's an EV. Um, there is that $7,500 credit. Uh, now they've restricted it. it. And there's now, I think, only 16 vehicles that actually qualify for the full $7,500 credit including the Ford F-150 Lightning, their, their EV. Now the Mach-E, the Mustang Mach-E does not qualify for the full, they qualify for the 3750. But one of the, you know, the ways that uh, IRS actually writes law is their regulations they came out with the end of last year, early this year, said that if a farmer leases one of those vehicles, then you automatically get the credit. And now the manufacturer sort of gets the credit, but they use that credit to reduce the lease payment to the farmers. So uh, I think even, let's say they want to buy one of those EVs and it's not on that list, uh, they can get around it by doing the lease program. And that's true for any EV vehicle. That could be a, um, you know, it could be a Kia, it could be a Volkswagen, any of those would qualify for the credit if you lease it. So and, and they're continuing to bring out some of those rules. Uh, we know certainly for farmers, dairy farmers, um, you know, if they put in a manure digester um, or put on some type of wind turbine or solar, you know, there's a 30% credit in almost all cases for those farmers. Plus they get to then uh, take bonus depreciation on about 80, 
my memory is 87% of their investments. So that's a pretty good deal. And, and that's really extended through 2032. So um, not a new rule. Well, it's new last year, but it applies for this year. So not a lot of, I, if I'm a farmer, I'm not worried about any um, major tax law changes coming this year or probably next year. Now, also looking ahead, and this is, I can take this from a personal uh, standpoint, of course, just starting with Farm Bureau here in April, uh, I'm in the process of selling the home that I had down there in Nashville. So what is the process that folks that are going through some of these uh, buying and selling of real estate properties, whether it's agriculture or whether it's a private dwelling, what are the things we need to keep in mind? So for a home, you know, if it's been your home and you're selling it because of a move or whatever, or as long as you've lived in it for at least two years and owned it, uh, then typically for a married couple, up to $500,000 of that gain is tax-free. So as long as your gain in Nashville was less than $500,000, <laughs> yep, you're, you're not going to owe any capital gains taxes. Now, a lot of people still think, hey, I got to buy a new home of at least the same cost as the old home. Well, no, those rules disappeared about 15, 20 years ago. Now, for a farmer that's uh, selling, let's say they, they have a quarter section that's 10 miles away and they want to buy the quarter section that came up for sale next to their house, they can sell that quarter section 10 miles away and roll it over into the quarter section that's by their house. That's what's called a 1031 exchange. I think on another podcast, we'll go through some of the proposals dealing with 1031 exchanges and we'll do a little bit deeper dive. So let's, let's save that for another podcast. I don't want to use up all my, uh, all my stuff on this one. So you can't use up all your material. No, no, I can't. Well, I am uh, disappointed to say that my home will definitely not clear 500,000. Uh, so I don't even have to even consider it. You know, typically it's, you know, people in California, Washington yeah. state or in Seattle, New York, uh, but you know, a lot of States, Texas, Florida, they've had, substantial appreciation. Well, even Nashville. Nashville's had a lot of appreciation. So, uh, but normally either you've owned the house for 30 years right. or you bought a very expensive house and then that appreciation just took it up. So, yeah. but, uh, but the good news, likely you're not going to owe any tax on it. <laughs> well, that's good. I appreciate that. And I can say that, you know, you mentioned California and their their taxes. A number of the folks, just like Missouri, is experiencing a lot of folks from California are moving to Tennessee because yeah. some of the land is more affordable. The taxes are different. There's no income tax. Yeah. So they're having some of those growing pains as well, I think, that are headed their way. Yeah. And I, and I think for the listeners out there, Janet, and you mentioned at the beginning, it would be great if we got some emails or some questions that we could you know, answer on this show, you know, we, we, I would appreciate that. That's good material. Plus it then answers. And a lot of times what I find is if you're answering one question for a person, it applies to many other farmers that uh, didn't send in the question. So that would be great if they could just send that in to you. I always heard in radio, uh, in my years in radio, that for all the callers you get, there's another 50 or 60 that think about it they just never make the call. So yeah, yeah. I think you're definitely on point right there. Now you mentioned that folks could look you up, farmcpareport.com and yep. follow along on your blog post. If uh, you happen to have a question that you'd like to ask us, send it our way. You can send it to me, Janet.adgason 
at mofb.com. Or if you happen to know how to reach Farm Bureau, you can just go through that way because my last name is not the easiest to spell. And I totally recognize that. Uh, but also, Paul, if they wanted to reach out to you directly, how could they do so? Yeah, so a couple of ways. I, I have an email. It's just farmcpa at outlook.com. So farmcpa at outlook.com. And they can call or text my cell phone anytime, 509-961-9739. I, I pride myself, maybe that's not the right word, but I pride myself on responding very quickly to, to emails or phone calls. Wonderful. Well, Paul, thank you very much for ch chatting with us and we will chat again next month. And again, reach out to us. Let us know what you would like to uh, learn more about. And we will talk again next week. You've been listening to the Digging In podcast with Missouri Farm Bureau. I appreciate you taking the time to join us.